Welcome to This is Type 1, real-life type 1 diabetes with your hosts, Colleen and Jesse. I'm Colleen Mitchell, and I've had type 1 diabetes for over 25 years. I'm a life coach, fantasy author, and engineer. I'm passionate about type 1 diabetes education and showing others that this disease doesn't define me. Hi, I'm Jesse Tugney, and I've had type 1 diabetes for over 10 years now. I'm currently a student at Montana State and learning more and more about how our world works. My diagnosis has inspired me to take control of my future and learn everything I can about it. Each week on the show, we'll talk about real life with type 1 diabetes, feature members of the type 1 community who are just like you, and above all, encourage you to understand that this disease doesn't have to hold you back. This isn't medical advice. This is life with type 1. Welcome to episode 145 of This is Type 1, real life type 1 diabetes with your hosts, Colleen and Jesse. Today, we're talking with Devin Ortiz-Hoffman. She was diagnosed in March 2019 and creates content under the handle Ice Cream and Insulin. She sums up being diagnosed as an adult pretty succinctly with this. T1D is not a death sentence for the life you used to know. First up, Jesse has the win of the week. All right. So my win this week has been a little bit of an adjustment period, basically, and just kind of need talking about that, I guess. So... With postseason, um, you kind of have to transition like what your dietary needs are and what you're eating and like how many of what you're going to eat and going to the gym more versus doing cardio has a big impact on your blood sugars and how food can affect your system. That being said, I'm pretty happy with how my transition's going and what adjustments I've been making to what I've been eating or yeah, just what I've been eating and taking care of the low and high blood sugars because it is an adjustment and it does take a lot of time to get reacclimated to going to the gym versus running outside in the snow for practices. So yeah, I'm just proud of myself. That was it. My fail is that it took me a, well, I don't know if this is really a fail or just life. We'll just count it as both. It took me kind of a long time to recover from my solo road trip, just in terms of getting back to a normal routine, feeling back to normal and getting my blood sugars and eating habits dialed back in. At the time that this is coming out, I actually finished that road trip about a month and a half ago, and it took a good week and a half to kind of start feeling like things are getting back to normal. Jesse, what is the heck? I kind of want to add to yours really fast. With, oh sure yeah with season and stuff like that it takes like a solid two or three days for my blood sugars to start getting back to normal and then we you're back on the road all over again so I definitely know where you're coming from and it hurts sometimes so I just wanted to say I relate to you and I understand <laughs> so yeah anyways Moving on. The hack this week is going from doing cardio to doing more weightlifting and knowing that that can really affect your blood sugars. And with weightlifting, actually, your blood sugars are more likely to go up because of the, I want to say it's the lactic acid that's being released by your muscles. It can cause your liver to think, oh my gosh, we have to put in sugar and it's adrenaline and it's breaking your muscles down to build them back up. It's a lot of that. And it's very different from doing running and cardio and those kind of things where that'll really plummet your blood sugar. So just if you do like a hard transition, just know that that can like strongly affect how 
your body might react to activity and or blood sugars. So, yeah. I really noticed that when I was in community college, I took a gym class for multiple quarters in a row. And I discovered that if I did the weight circuit first before going on the treadmill or whatever the cardio thing was, my blood sugars were much more stable. But if I was of the unlucky bunch assigned to go on do, uh, go do cardio first, my number plummeted right away. So I ended up convincing the instructor to let me always do the weight circuit first so that I wouldn't end up having to sit out at the end and stuff my face with fruit snacks. All right. Here is Devin. Hi, Devin. Welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me. I'm really excited to be here with you tonight. Tell us who you are and the role that diabetes plays in your life. Yeah, so I'm Devin. I live in Denver, North Carolina. Diabetes is still relatively new to me. I was only diagnosed just about three years ago. So right now, it's really it's a conversation starter. It's a learning experience. And it's a constant reminder of like how strong I actually am for having to essentially deal with it some days and like put it on the back burner of the others. So what was the story of your diagnosis? We're recording this, I think, was it three years tomorrow? Yeah, <laughs> actually. Anniversary. And um, when you were diagnosed, did you know anything about it beforehand? Was there any family history? No family history of type one. I do have several family members with type two. I showed all of the telltale symptoms. So like I Googled it and it was either you have diabetes or you've been bitten by a snake. And I was like, well, I haven't been out in the woods because it's March and it's cold. So it's probably not that, but I was in denial, denial, denial for probably a month and a half, two months. And then the fatigue was just terrible. Like I couldn't function. I was napping for four hours in the middle of the day. (laughs) And I'm not a napper by any means. Like if I nap after 12 o'clock, I'm not sleeping that night. So that was kind of like a big deal for me. So I go to urgent care and I'm like, hey, yeah, this is what's going on. They're like, okay, we're going to get some blood work. Okay, now we need you to go across the street and go to the hospital now, like go to the ER. My sugar was 560 when I got admitted to the ER. And I was there for five days. It was miserable. But I learned a lot. I had a great nurse while I was there who she like loaded my TV with like videos on what is type one? How are we going to manage it? She had reading material, which is really what I need. I need to understand the whys behind it. And then I lucked out with one of the endos that was on service during my five days, ended up being my doctor until I moved to North Carolina. I'm originally from Virginia, just to put some perspective into things. And so she really broke it down so that I could understand what was happening and how we were going to manage it from there. I love nurses who do that. They like truly care about their patients and want you to be the best version of you that you can be with type one. Yeah. She was like, here's some, I know you're watching Harry Potter right now, but after this is over in commercial breaks, like read this. (laughs) Quick side note. What happened to you? Oh, I'm a Gryffindor. (laughs) (laughs) Ravenclaw. Going through. <laughs> uh, okay. So you were diagnosed as an adult. What was mm-hmm. the biggest struggle for you from being diagnosed as an adult? It changes from childhood to adulthood. So what was the biggest struggle yeah. for you? I think the biggest struggle is remembering life before. Like 
diabetes is like a huge marker in my timeline. So like, I remember what it was like, just like go in the pantry and like eat what I wanted or like go hike up a mountain and it'd be fine. And like, you just eat what you want when you want and sleeping through the night with like no extra alarms or anything like that. So it's very like BD before diabetes and AD (laughs) after diabetes is how my timeline goes. (laughs) So we are recording this the day before your third anniversary. So happy anniversary! Mm-hmm. And you. second of all, because that was the first of all, what was the process like for you to go from diagnosis to acceptance? Because you mentioned at the beginning, there was a bit of denial before even going to the ER. Yeah. And then I think the denial stemmed mostly from I have a terrible fear of needles. <laughs> like I have to hype myself up for blood work and vaccines. So the thought of like, now I am diagnosed with a disease in which I have to stick poke and prod every day, multiple times a day was like, very daunting and like a hard pill to swallow. I think, though, that just knowing that like, I have to do this to live, like, was like, very much get over it. Now, I still don't like blood work. I don't bleed when I go to the doctor. So they have to stick me like multiple times so we can get enough blood to like do the panel. But on the day to day, I've just accepted and I've adopted some technology that like limits that significantly. So I think that's the biggest thing. And then just also understanding that like, this wasn't a death sentence. Like my life isn't over. I still do all of the things that I did before. I just have something else in the back of my mind that I have to consider. Yeah. Yeah. Speaking of the not being a fan of needles, 20, (laughs) almost 27 years in, I still hate getting lab draws. Yeah. It's awful. (laughs) Does not go away. The worst. But speaking of needles and stuff and minimizing how much you have to do day to day, how do you manage your type one? So I quickly adopted (laughs) the Dexcom G6 and the Omnipod Dash. I've not been on anything else. I met with actually a CDE leading up to those things and was like, Hey, like, what do you have? I got to try everything on, like insert all the test modules, like wear it around for a few hours and kind of decide, is this right for me? I was also a flight attendant when I got diagnosed. So it played significantly into my lifestyle choosing the Dexcom and the Omnipod. Can you talk more about being a flight attendant with type 1? Yeah. So (laughs) one thing I knew was that that was the biggest shocker is like they preached to you and the doctor like routine, routine, routine. I was like, yeah, so my routine is no routine. (laughs) <laughs> some mornings I'm up at 4am and working till 2pm other days I'm starting my day at 2 and I'm working till 1am what do I do so taking your basal insulin at the same time every day was like not really great <laughs> and then again that fear of needles and giving yourself a shot on an airplane like trying to discreetly do it through like uniform you've got dress, pantyhose, like scarf, you've got all this stuff and just trying to figure out like where and when's the best spot and hoping that you don't hit a pocket of turbulence. Like it was super stressful. So I was like, get me off of this right now. Like I need a pump. 
I was consistently getting my belt loops hooked on all of the latches in the galley. So I was like, I don't want tubes. That's why I went for the Omnipod. I was like, I cannot have this thing yoked off in the middle of flight. Like, I don't have any time to deal with that. So I chose, again, the Dexcom and the Omnipod because they felt right. They were giving me all of the alerts and stuff that I needed. I love that the Dexcom went to my watch so I could walk away, but still have my numbers from the front of the plane to the back of the plane. Like, I always knew where I was. And just being conducive, like, I don't have to worry about, like, you know, you get that eight hour window for some basal insulins, but I mean, if I missed it, like, yeah. So it was just like peace of mind. These gadgets offered me. I love technology. Yeah, right. With planes, yeah. with planes, have you, did you ever get the bubble? The uh, I think it's like Bernoulli's principle. When you go up, you get air oh. bubbles so that you go high. And then when you come back down, it pushes more insulin through because of the pressure. And then you end up with like baggage claim low. No, I didn't experience that. And I don't, I think it could have played into, as a flight attendant, you're not just sitting in the airplane seat. Like you're walking around and like actively doing things. So I think like in the air, I was like, fine to, I did research that though. I was like, oh gosh, like what is, what are the effects of altitude like on your blood sugar? But I think there's versus sitting in a car, like you're not moving around, you're not being active. Whereas on a plane, as a flight attendant, you are back and forth, up and down the aisle, you're interacting with people, you're reaching, you're squatting, you're doing all of these things. So I stayed, I would actually go low in flight from moving around too much and had to like, really learn to adjust my rates or like, eat in between flights to make sure I could sustain through the rest of it. Zero routine. (laughs) At yeah, none, none whatsoever. <laughs> Doesn't exist. <laughs> no, not so much. Based on your Instagram handle, I'm going to take a wild guess that you include ice cream on your food plan. Your Instagram handle is ice cream and insulin. Yes. What else do you eat <laughs> that you find helps keep your blood sugar in range? But like, how do you include ice cream with your food? At first, I was really ignorant to like, what is just like everybody else all diabetes is created equal and you can't eat this and you can't eat that. So the handle actually stemmed from ice cream has always been my favorite treat. I'm not a big dessert person, but if you offer ice cream, I'm saying yes. (laughs) Like I will not turn it down. So I was super stoked to like not have to give that up and it just be a matter of accounting for it when I take insulin. I don't stick to a strict diet at all. I'm Italian. I'm Hispanic. I eat carbs. I like rice. I like pasta. I like bread. You name it. I want it. I will say there are days that I will go like low carb just based on like, what are my sugars doing? Do I really want to fight it today? But like I said, I don't have a strict diet. I found some substitutions I really like. I really enjoy almond flour. I do like waffles and pancakes with that and chickpea pastas. And the day... Bonza sells their lasagna in the grocery store is the day I stop eating regular pasta. (laughs) I will buy chickpea pasta until the end of time if I can get a lasagna noodle. (laughs) (laughs) That's the Italian side coming out. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) But those are like two big cultures to draw your food from. And I think both of them are pretty high carb, aren't they? Yeah. High carb, high fat. That's like the, the late onset combo, of yeah. uh, these foods. 
I still have not mastered it. So if anybody's got any tips, tricks, or anything for Taco Tuesday and the pasta bar, let me know. Pizza all the time. <laughs> oh, gosh. Yeah. The Just, days I um, nail pizza, I'm like, this is the best day. Right? <laughs> Does the Omnipod have like a square wave or a dual wave function so that it gives you insulin up front and then kind of over an extended period of time? Yeah, it does. But I still can't figure it out. Because also, not all pizza is created equal. Where are you getting your pizza from? Is it from the freezer section or is it from like a takeout restaurant? Like just it's a hope and pray when I eat pizza. (laughs) But that's exactly what those two functions are for is is to catch the late rise later when you're like i thought i bolused for this but i know yeah (laughs) i'm still trying to figure it out but yeah when i eat pizza the temp basil and the extended bolus are my best friends they really are (laughs) so switching gears a little bit Mm -hmm. what does burnout mean to you and how do you handle it burnout i don't know like i know we all experience burnout at some place and time. I don't know that I've experienced a severe burnout, but I do get the physical, the mental, and the emotional exhaustion of being diabetic. I'm not only a type 1 diabetic, I'm a type 1 person. Like, I love perfection. That being said, diabetes is very hard for me. And as much as I love my CGM, I hate it at the same time. And that's where I experience burnout the most often is like, why can't I be in range all the time? Like, this is what I'm supposed to do. I'm a bad diabetic. And it's when I start getting those thoughts is when I realize like, I need to take a break. Like, this isn't good for me. And it is the most daunting thing. And it's a very hard thing for me to one, recognize, but also to accept and act on. Because I just yeah. want to be perfect all the time. Yeah, I think you are among a lot of other type 1 diabetics who have that same perfectionism mode. When we have the CGM <laughs> graph and we have those lines, it's like a game to stay between them. And yeah. then when you go outside, it's like you failed. Yeah, absolutely. So kind of related to the burnout stuff, did mm-hmm. that have a part to play in switching jobs from flight attendant in 2021? Yes and no. My job, so I wasn't just a flight attendant. I actually, I started as a flight attendant, but by the time I ended at the airline, I was managing the training development department amidst COVID. So we were working from home, managing a team, but there was also a mentality, I think a lot of companies experience, like we're at home, we have more time, we should be working harder. And so there was no distinction between work and home. Everything was just work. So my stress levels were through the roof. So my numbers were all over. I played the highest highs and the lowest lows and just tried to catch them every time I could, hoping and praying to stay like in range just from the stress alone. So when I switched jobs in July of 2021, I will say that my stress has decreased exponentially. <laughs> like by far. I now work in a library. So it's like much more sedate compared to the aviation world. <laughs> There's routine. Big difference. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. 
I have routine. Like I wake up at the same time every day. I go to the work during like normal quote unquote business hours, like a nine to five type of deal. And so at least now when I have those spikes or those lows, I can typically link them to something now. Whereas before there was no telling what it was related to. Yep. Yep. So you also started a graduate degree. I what did. is that in and how yes. has that affected your type one? In January, I started my master's in library science. So yeah, there's much more to being a librarian than reading books and checking them out to people. At first, my stress level went up just trying to like, how do I work school now into working full time? Because when I did my undergraduate degree, I was just a full time student, no job. Whereas now I'm trying to put the schoolwork into a 40-hour work week already and still have some semblance of a social life at the end of the day. (laughs) So my stress level went up at first, but then I just took like pen to paper and I blocked out my schedule like, hey, I'm in a gym at this time. I'm going to study at this time. I'm going to work here. This is date night. It's mapped out. With some loose like wiggle room, but still there so that I could see it. Because again, type one person, I need it all laid out for me. But with that, I've noticed that I've gotten into a rhythm finally. So it's not as stressful as I like hyped it up to be in my head. That's good to know. Just like having yeah. having that kind of stuff laid out ahead of time. I'm I personally love calendaring my entire life. And when yeah. you're like gym this time, study this time, work yeah. this time, I'm like, oh, Yeah. And that's what I needed. Cause like the first week I didn't have it like that. And I was like, Oh my gosh, I'm going crazy. Like, what do I do here? What do I do there? Like, what do I eat? (laughs) I didn't know. So having it mapped out, like it's like posted on our fridge. My husband's like, really, this is what we need. Like, yeah, dude, you don't have to look at it. Just like, it's gotta be there for me. I need to know. (laughs) Yeah. And then if he actually wants to know what you're doing, he can just look, it's up there. Okay. I, I have to ask this. How does one go scuba diving with type 1 diabetes? Oh, gosh. They do a lot of research first. I Unfortunately, though, there's not a lot of research on the effects of type 1 and scuba diving. Although I feel like every time I check in with dive masters and like turn in my paperwork, because when you're a diabetic, you have to have like a medical uh, waiver to sign. Your doctor has to sign it before you can dive. If you're going on like an excursion or like with a like tour led group, if I want to just go dive by my with like a buddy, I don't need that. But to get like any sort of certification or anything like that, your doctor has to sign off on it. So when I actually got certified, I was not a diabetic. I got certified like two or three years, I think, before I was diagnosed. So again, something else I had to consider after diagnosis. So You get your note from your doctor that says, yes, you manage it however well you do. And they, if you, I talked with my endo, like, hey, I want to try this. I want to do test dives, that sort of thing. She was like, yeah, sounds great. Like we chatted about it. We adjusted her range and she signed off on it. I take it to the people and they let me go. But personally, I did some research on just like, where are the effects of like wearing your technology under the water? Like I know with the standard tube pump, you have to like disconnect, but the Omnipod is good up to like 50 or 60 feet underwater, which is as deep as I'm certified to go. 
So I don't let Omnipod hear this, but I do dive with it on. <laughs> like, I dive with it on unless it's a site change day and I can line it up right. Then I won't wear them. But I'm not going to throw away a pod and insulin or CGM like... If I don't have to, that's a lot of money to throw away for like an hour dive. <laughs> so I keep my tech on. I personally reduce my basal between 10 and 15% depending on how long I'm going to be diving up to three hours prior to actually jumping in. I eat a carb load at breakfast. Like I'm not afraid of carbs because I would rather go under the water high than go low because I can't treat it under the water. And then I still monitor the day of diving, like after I resurface with finger sticks, just in case like the pressure did affect my CGM at all. I'd rather like err on the side of caution and just keep check a few more times during the day and make sure I'm on track. And if I need to, then I'll just swap out devices if I hadn't taken them off already. Oh, before my very first dive as a diabetic, I did like... I don't want to call it a practice dive because I know how to dive, but I did a dive with my husband and my dad and a family friend at like a local quarry because I wanted to test out my own self, essentially. I wanted to make sure that I was still comfortable, that if I went low or anything like that, that I would be able to feel it, but also that I was with people who knew my condition, understood that if I needed to call it quit sooner, then the 45 minute scheduled dive that they would be okay with it. Nobody would be upset or angry that they were all willing to come out of the water with me. So before I go on an excursion and not that I would quote ruin anybody's time, but you know that I'm not taking away from the experience of others while I try to get my act together. I wanted to go into the excursion knowing and being confident that yes, I can be down under the water for 45 minutes and not go low. And when I come back up, I can test my blood sugar, eat if I need to, or we can carry on to the next one. What kinds of things have you seen under the water? Oh, gosh. I like to find things that people don't really care about. I actually have a bachelor's in biology, environmental science. So like, I love the ocean. (laughs) I've seen some sharks. I've seen Wobegon sharks, reef tips, nurse shark seen turtles, stingrays, but I like like all the little things that are like in the nooks and crannies. I love shrimp and I love the worms <laughs> that are under the water, like all the polychaete worms. Like nine times out of 10, I'm swimming by coral and I'm just fanning it to see like the worms like suck themselves into their little holes and then like come back out, which is like super nerdy and gooby. But like, I'd rather look for that stuff than like the big, like in your face animals. Not that I don't like them, but like I go looking for the stuff that nobody else knows about. I'm just picturing the coral reef from Finding Nemo. (laughs) Yeah, basically. Yeah. Some, I mean, some are definitely better than others, but yeah, it can definitely look like that. No, no sunken treasure yet? No, not yet. I'm not certified to dive in ships yet though. So like maybe that's that's like a separate thing. Yeah. They're usually deeper, which is the problem. Okay. So then yeah, Omnipod, turn your ears off. Then you, you yeah, know, I'm going to have to take it off for those. <laughs> I don't think it'll make it. Yeah. So besides scuba diving, what other kind of fun hobbies do you have that you were able to keep after diagnosis? Yeah, I 
and big on the outdoors. Like I don't like to be inside that much. So my husband and I, we take our dog. We try to get out most weekends if the weather's cooperating to do hikes. That's like our big thing. We hike, we kayak, we camp, that sort of thing. I think hiking though has been one of the biggest hobbies that I've had to make the most adjustments to. I still cannot go without, like I have to suspend my basil, like consistently every time I hike. It doesn't matter. I could eat biscuits and gravy or like jam and be high. And then I'm on the mountain for like five minutes, three hours after I ate and I'm still plummeting to the ground. I'm like, I am in the same boat. Oh, thank goodness. I thought it was just, I was like, when the world, I'll be in the car like five minutes from getting out. And I'm like, oh my gosh, I'm going low. Stop at the 7-Eleven now. Like, help me. My last hike on uh, Saturday, uh, like last week, perfect blood sugars all morning. And I made it so it was like high at the, at the trailhead. And then five minutes before I got to the trailhead, my pump gave an, gave an autocorrect. Oh, 0.81 units. I'm like, no, no. <laughs> So I was on suspend the whole time. I had like three yeah. smarty rolls. I stopped in the middle for 15 minutes. <laughs> stopped at the top. Yeah, I know. I'm always like, sorry, can we pull over here? <laughs> like, I just need to like cram these peachos into my mouth really quickly before we keep going. <laughs> yeah, it's an exercise in being okay with the blood sugar and being okay with taking longer to finish a hike or yeah, turning back absolutely. ahead of time, stuff like that. Yeah, I think, again, that's the adjustments I've had to make. It's just like being okay. Like, it says the hike takes an hour. We don't actually have to do it in an hour. We can take an hour and a half. We can take two hours. We can enjoy what we're looking at while we're sitting here on this rock waiting for our blood sugar to rise. Like, Don't pay attention to the trail runners. Yeah. Oh, gosh, no. I'm like, those people are crazy. I can't even run on the flat ground. (laughs) We have so much in common. (laughs) You mentioned a dog. Does your dog ever sense your lows or your highs? <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> no. I got Kai, my puppy, when she was a puppy nine years ago. Oh. So she's pre-diabetic oh. and she hears the snack wrappers, not the low alerts. Like she, <laughs> she's clueless. She does not know, doesn't care, doesn't act different. I'm just like, oh, okay, we're good. Please alert Sometimes someone people. if I pass out, though, Kai. Like, <laughs> do something. I mean, some some people's dogs are just so on it. And then others like yours are like, that sounds like a treat bag. Yeah. Like, is that cheese? Is that a cookie? Like, she does not care. So only three years in, do you have any favorite or least favorite things about type one? Obviously, the blood work is my least favorite thing. <laughs> Again, getting jabbed, like... They'll do one arm and they'll be like, oh yeah, those veins look good. And then the, they stick the needle and they're like, this vein is not good. And so then we have to go to the other side and I'm just like, this is awful. And I can't look at the needle. Like I like, again, have to hype myself up. So they're like, are you okay? Are you, I'm just like, do what you need to do. Like speed this process up, please. So obviously that will always be my least favorite till the end of time. But my favorite thing has to be the community. I don't have. Again, I don't have family that has type 1. None of my close friends have it. Now, they have all stepped up to try to learn about it, and I appreciate that. And while they let me vent and talk about my struggles, they can't truly understand it. And so having the community on social media or in meetups is 
so great because you realize like, it's not just me. I'm not the only one struggling to stay in between these two lines on the graph. I'm not the only one who had to suspend their insulin so they could hike the mountain. Like there's all of these different things that this community offers you support, whether you know the person or not, that those who don't have diabetes can't, they can empathize with you, but they can't truly understand it. That's one of the most common answers we get to what's your favorite thing? It's well, all the rest of diabetes sucks, but the community is great. Yeah, (laughs) that's fair. Yeah, like, oh, yeah, I get to eat cookies like at 2am. But like, I don't want to eat at (laughs) 2am. I just want a friend to complain about eating at 2am too. (laughs) I mean, if I have to correct a low in the middle of the night, my mouth feels awful in the morning. Yes. I'm like, oh, gosh, like why? There's nothing good to eat at 2am when you're half asleep. Some party rolls. I don't know. Like, I mean, it's still not great because that's why my yeah. house is bad in the morning. The lesser of the evils. Right. If I try to go to the fridge for something, it's, it's, I'm going to be up for longer and my blood sugars are going to be worse in the morning. Yeah. Cause you're going to eat the whole fridge. <laughs> Pretty much. Do you have any advice for maybe the newly diagnosed adult diabetics? Yeah. Your life isn't over. Like, that's it. It doesn't end here. You don't have to stop doing the things that you like to do or you want to do. If you have a new goal, it's still your goal. It doesn't have to stop because you have diabetes. Like you're strong, you're resilient, and you're capable with or without this. You will find a way to adjust your diabetes to fit the lifestyle that you have and that you want to have. I love that advice. Everybody just rewind a little bit and listen to that again. That was awesome. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. Do you have any projects that you're working on right now that you're really excited about? I don't have anything like diabetes related, really. You know, I'm still like, let's just finish the semester strong. But I have recently agreed to become a cycle instructor for our local gym. I've done group fitness since I was in college. And then this is a little family-owned gym. There's only a handful of us that are going to be working there. And so I'm going to start being cycling. I hope that with this, I'm obviously going to keep my workout routine consistent because I'll be, I'll have to be there. Like I can't back out because 10 other people are going to be depending on me to be there. But also I love going to the gym because people see my tech and they ask about it. So I'm looking forward to like, promoting diabetes, not trashing it, but just like educating people on what it is. What am I wearing? Why am I wearing it? What what does it do? And the fact that, yes, I can still get on this bike. I can instruct with you. I can work out alongside you regardless. That's one of my like favorite reasons for wearing my CGM on my inner forearm or just oh yeah on my arm. So it's, it's visible and it's a conversation starter so people can ask about it. Yeah, absolutely. One day I had it on my arm at work. And I had sleeve, like long sleeves on, but obviously you can see the outline. And one guy was like, do a good job of hiding that. I was like, hiding what? He's like, you know, your, your, your thing. Like he didn't know what it was, but he knew it was a medical device. So I'll give him that. But I was like, I'm not hiding it. It's just cold out today. <laughs> like I just have sleep. Like I'm not ashamed to show it off. By like, I just prefer people. long sleeves. <laughs> yeah. I prefer not to be cold. That's it. <laughs> I, I can get on board with that. <laughs> if our listeners want to connect with you, where can they find you online? I am on Facebook, Instagram, and TikTok. All are at Ice Cream and Insulin 
But IG is definitely where I spend the majority of my time. So head there instead. (laughs) We will link to everything in the show notes. Devin, thank you so much for coming on. It's been great talking with you. Thank you, Colleen. I really enjoyed it. All right. So our question for you guys this week is, what is your favorite ice cream and what's your favorite flavor? Colleen, how about you start us off? (laughs) So um, I love anything by Mammoth Creameries. And we did an episode with uh, Tim Krauss from Mammoth uh, a while back. We'll link to that in the show notes. So you have the link to go buy Mammoth Creameries. Hint, hint, wink, wink. I know I I just love anything by them. It's it's low carb. It tastes amazing. Uh, The last time I had it was the last couple days of my solo road trip. And because I got stuck in Sheridan, Wyoming, go back and listen to that episode. I actually ended up having to eat the rest of two whole pints as my food for that day. So they wouldn't melt in the (laughs) in the in the hotel fridge because the fridge didn't have a freezer. (laughs) It was great, though. It filled me right up. All right. And then mine, I cannot remember what the brand name is called for the life of me, but it's this avocado ice cream that I get at Walmart. It's low carb and it doesn't taste like avocados. It tastes like real ice cream, which is so, so surprising, but I definitely miss it because I, I can't find it here in Bozeman. Like it's Bozeman. I get that, but let's have some low carb options for the diabetics in town, please. But. We don't really have any of that here. Anyways, sidebar, but yeah, it's pretty good. So if you see it, it's got like a little avocado and you can get, there's like four flavors and it comes in like the little, like single serve, small, like little cup. So if you try it, try it out and let me know what you think. (laughs) That is it for this episode of This is Type 1. Thank you so much to Devin for coming on as a guest to the show. You can find Devin on Instagram at ice cream and insulin. And you can find the show notes at inspiredforward.com slash episode 145. That's the number 145. Apply to be a guest by visiting thisistype1.com. Our music is by Joseph McDade. I'm on all social media as at inspiredforward, and our email is colleen at inspiredforward.com. Our podcast Instagram is this is type one pod. That's the number one if you do look us up. And I'm personally on Instagram as at JJ Crystal KAT. So please feel free to send me questions, comments, or any thoughts you have about being diabetic. Just make sure you let me know you're a listener of the show. I'd love to hear from you. Thank you so much for joining us. Be sure to listen next week for another episode about real life with type one diabetes. Remember, you control your diabetes. It doesn't control you. Hey, if you like what you're listening to on this podcast, you have to join us in the Half Dead Pancreas Club. It's my private community where you'll connect face-to-face with other people with type 1 diabetes, get personalized emotional support, and learn how to handle anything T1D throws at you. Join us over at inspiredforward.com community. I can't wait to see you there.